We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. First of all, Ryan, before we even get into Bill's, um, Bill's Washington football team, what are you doing today for this Notre Dame-Wisconsin game, a.k.a. the Jack Cone revenge game? I'm watching it with um, my dad. Actually, you know he's a he likes Penn, he likes Penn State first and foremost, but Notre Dame's been his second team. So watching the game with him here in a few minutes. So looking forward to that. Hoping Notre Dame pleasantly surprises uh, surprises me in this game. So you are not expecting Notre Dame to win this game. I, I've watched enough Notre Dame to know <laughs> that uh, in these kind of matchups, they don't usually turn out too uh, too well in their favor. Here's what I'll say, Ryan. If if for nothing else. Oh my God! The gloriousness of those jerseys that I'm that I'm watching just go on the field right now with the little arm, the the Notre Dame with the two gold stripes with the white stripe in the middle. That is as sexy as it gets for Notre Dame. Um, no names on the back. Like it just this is this matchup of jerseys right now with throwback Wisconsin jerseys. I don't love the numbers for Wisconsin, but man, Notre Dame's jerseys are as good as it gets, man. Oh, they do have some great jerseys today. Some of these other throwback ones. So, you know, that, that is one thing that they have going in their favor. Speaking of uh, running games that haven't gotten it figured out, we'll talk that that's been Notre Dame this year. They're one of the best running attacks last year in the country and just have not been able to get the ball rolling um, out of the backfield this year with two really good running backs in Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. But you look on for this Bills matchup, um, Ryan, maybe the best most efficient running attack we've seen from this team over the past two seasons was last week against the Dolphins. How much of that is just going up against the Dolphins defense that maybe isn't as equipped to defend the run? Um, And maybe how much of this really is just that this Bills offensive line took a big step last week, particularly in the run game, and finally opened up some holes for Devin Singletary and Zach Moss? I think it's a little mix of both. I mean, listen, John Feliciano week one was beaten early and often in his matchup, and he came out and said that he was going to be more prepared for week two in that, and he had you know two great run blocks in that game to spring Zach Moss for a touchdown, and then obviously Devin Singletary's first uh, carry that went for a 46-yard score. Uh, Feliciano had a big block there. Mitch Morris has been solid all season. Deion Dawkins was night and day from week mm. one to week two in a good way. Uh, and I think Cody Ford has been a little bit of a pleasant surprise there as well at guard. Still some questions about the right tackle position and, and Daryl Williams, but the line took a step forward last week. There's no doubt about that. And then obviously I think a lot of the times uh, these, the personnel matchups are going to favor the Bills running the ball a little bit. There's a lot of film on the 2020 Bills out there and how they pass early and often. So you're going to see a lot of teams, right. I think, bring out those extra defensive backs, and they're going to have a light front, a light box, and they're almost going to dare the Bills to run. So it's up to Devin Singletary and Zach Moss when they get these opportunities. To break off sizable runs, they don't have to be the 46-yard scores. Obviously, it's great when that happens for the Bills. Uh, but if they can break off six, seven-yard runs here and there, it's going to make the defenses play honest, play up a little bit, and then that will open things up for Josh Allen and company. So I, I asked this to Sal last segment, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the fact that we've seen more, particularly last week, Ryan, of Bill's tight end Dawson Knox than really we have at any point in his career playing over 80% of the snaps for the first time last week. And and I think a lot of that was matchup dependent. But I'm wondering how much 
I think he's been making some plays, Ryan. Short of that, I just I wonder how much maybe you see um, this week this team maybe start to go to the well and, and use more of Dawson Knox in their game plan from a passing perspective. It wouldn't surprise me, but like you said, I think it's matchup dependent first and foremost in terms of the overall snap count. He has been a pleasant surprise. He hasn't had any drops yet this year. Uh, the one pass that he hasn't caught, he was playing more of a defensive role to bat it away to make sure nothing happened on it. So uh had a really nice touchdown catch in the end zone where he, Josh Allen threw a dime on that play too, but he made a nice adjustment sliding to grab that ball, go low. We've seen him drop some balls like that in his career. And I think Dawson Knox has taken the next step in his career. I don't know if he's ever going to be a top 10, top 12 tight end in this league where the the physical traits tell you he could be, but he's definitely ascending in the right direction there. You you know, you look at the matchups on a week-by-week basis. I like Cole Beasley this week in this matchup. I think last week, too, you had a factor that even though Gabriel Davis was active in the game, he was nowhere near 100%. So that gave more opportunities to a guy like Dawson Knox in terms of the personnel you wanted to get out there. Uh, little things like that are going to factor in on a week-by-week basis. But it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him uh, see a, a more sizable role this year, especially when you consider the Bills only have two true tight ends on that roster with Reggie Gilliam kind of playing that pseudo-fullback tight end uh, number three. Ryan Talbot here in New York Upstate. Joining me on the Western Hotline, we're talking Bills, Washington football team. What have you seen, Ryan, from this Washington football team Maybe let's start with Taylor Heineke last week, but I think you even probably reversed things a little bit further than last week in his matchup, which I, by the way, Ryan, I thought he played pretty darn well um, last week against the Giants. I thought he kind of carried that offense at times because they, I, I don't think for the most part they've they've given the ball a whole bunch to Antonio Gibson, which could potentially change this week. But I think you got to reverse this thing back into the first round, the wild card weekend of the playoffs, where I think they really gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers make their their toughest shot um, last season in that playoff run and that really started with Taylor Heineke they just he gave that 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 Tampa Bay defense fits what have you seen from Heineke that that makes you think that even when Ryan Fitzpatrick is back and healthy that he might have a tough time seeing the field and might be hard to take uh, Taylor Heineke off the field well, one, he, he does a good job of spreading the ball around. You know, sometimes when an inexperienced quarterback comes in, uh, they're locking on one or two guys. Obviously, Terry McLaurin had a great game against the Giants, the number one receiver for Washington. But Humphreys had something like seven receptions for the team. McKissick had a, a great game receiving out of the backfield. He's a, uh, someone to keep an eye on tomorrow. Logan Thomas, he spread the ball around. He, he made sure that all the players that, that he has at his disposal were getting the ball. And he was going past that first read, so he's impressive in that regard. He's a little bit more mobile uh, than Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously. I think that he can kind of take off and run at times or at least elude pressure and, and keep plays alive with his legs. So he does some things pretty well. But, you know, we were talking to Sam Fortier of the Washington Post uh, this week on Shout, and he said, when you go back and think about it, though, this is a guy that has about 11 quarters of experience in Washington. And he only had one other start before that when he was in Carolina. All of them have been home games. This is going to be his first true road start of his NFL career. So at Highmark Stadium, it's going to be loud. There's going to be uh, a Bills defense that is significantly better than the New York Giants defense that he faced one week ago. He had some extra time to prepare for this matchup, but I really think that uh, this matchup leans in Buffalo's favor when you consider the fact that he hasn't had a road game yet in the NFL as a starting quarterback. It's a great point. I, I'm also sort of interested in your thoughts on, on 
I know for me, as a as a big buyer of Antonio Gibson in fantasy, I've been a little disappointed on the volume of touches he's been seeing. And considering last week you watched uh, J.D. McKissick, who is this team's primary receiving back, but we were all sort of told that Gibson was going to be a bigger part of the passing offense, more like a Christian McCaffrey, a Delvin Cook, a guy that sees a majority of the touches from the backfield. That hasn't been the case for the first two weeks. He's now he's been a little banged up. What do you expect to see today or uh, tomorrow in that matchup? Do we do we expect to see more Antonio Gibson, or do we think that this is going to be sort of a two-man, two-headed horse uh, or a two-headed monster coming out of that backfield with J.D. McKissick in the pass game and, and Antonio Gibson in the downhill run game? I think it's going to be more of a two-headed back uh, backfield tomorrow just because if the Bills are as aggressive as one week ago, you'd love to have a guy like McKissick back there that can uh, take a quick pass and then really you know win those one-on-one matchups, and I think that the Bills are going to come out aggressive. So McKissick is the, the bigger threat as a receiver. Now, that said, you mentioned it, Gibson – was supposed to see an increased role this year as a receiver. He had uh, something around, what, 250 last year as a receiving option out of the backfield. He went over 1,000 yards as a rookie, but at 700-plus were obviously on the ground. So he can catch the ball over 20 receptions last year. This is a dangerous backfield. Throwing, yeah. obviously, even number three, uh, John Patterson, uh, a player that Bills fans and Buffalo fans in general are very familiar with from his time at UB, they can do some damage on the ground. I don't think you're going to see Patterson much, but I think you'll – He'll get an opportunity or two just because, you know, you're going to get up against the hometown team. Might be late in the game. Maybe the Bills pull away or vice versa. Anything can happen in the NFL. He might get a few touches, though, just because uh, of where he's at and and how well he has looked when he's had the ball in his hands. But, yeah, I I think it's going to be more McKissick and Gibson is a one-two punch this week. But Gibson, in terms of of the future, he has all the makings of a three-down back. So I think as time goes on, they really figure out how they want to utilize him. It will be more of a one-man show, but right now you might as well utilize McKissick, who is very dangerous as a receiver. You know, Ryan, I've I, I had this conversation with Sal, and I feel like I've been trying to tell anybody that'll listen. I, I'm just I've been so taken back by the the progress, the change, the development of AJ Epinesa. It's hard for me to find like another example. There, the two guys on this defense that that really stood out to me last week were Epinesa and Matt Milano. And it might be harder than really any other player I can think of to try to find comps for both of those players. They're just so unique. And it, and and watching AJ play his his junior or senior year, I can't remember which one it was in in, in Iowa, like. That was a player that I think came into the season with a lot of hype and and just did not really flash the pass rush skills, the athleticism that really warranted a first-round pick. And I'm wondering, if you were to look back, if you could sort of bring back things in time here, do you believe that A.J. Epinesa is a first-round pick if this is the player with the body type and the explosion that we've seen through the first two games this this season, top 10 in pressures? Like, is is he a bona fide first-round pick, and and is he in the conversation for an early first-round pick if he's this player right now? I think he would be just because of the fact that the explosiveness that we have seen from him these first two weeks, even late last season, that's not the type of player he was at Iowa. There wasn't a ton of explosiveness. It was mostly power. It was mostly you know, uh, just being a better player than some of these uh, offensive linemen that he went against. But he had to change his game and to make it in the NFL to be someone that could look like this player that we've seen through two weeks. So, you know, you almost you don't want to say that his rookie season was, was just kind of like a throwaway year. But for the for him himself, he didn't have a traditional offseason. Most of his early season meetings were over a computer on his Zoom. So he had an, mm, an abridged training point. camp and a bridge preseason in season. 
Uh, he's being asked to drop 20 pounds to go from 280 to the 260 range, and he does it. But that's a whole new body type as well. Right. And so he had to learn how to play at that weight as well. So spends the entire offseason at that weight, working on his pass rush arsenal, probably finds out, hey, that, that bull rush, that power that I thought I might lose if I dropped 20 pounds, that's still there. But I also have the explosiveness to duck under attack, like you saw on the hit on two of the knock out of the game. I have the uh, ability to use my hands and then even go inside on plays now. So I think he's still, uh, it's kind of like a, a baby deer learning how to, to walk and <laughs> run here. Uh, he, he's learning as he goes on all these things that he can do now at 260 versus 280. And that's a scary thought for opposing uh, offenses to have a, a guy come in week two at this new weight, at this new structure, have nine pressures and 28 pass snaps, uh, create a sack for Greg Rousseau, a sack for Justin Zimmer, cause the turnover and downs on Tua. Yep. Uh, he had the intentional grounding penalty on the play where he was bringing down set as well. That's just four of the nine pressures right there, and all of them had big impacts on the game. So he's only going to get better with time, and that really just kind of speaks volumes to – what this defensive line or this defensive end position specifically could look at look like long term with Epines on one side and Rousseau, who cleaned up on a few plays and had two sacks in, in his uh, first road game last week. Uh, in terms of how bright the future is for this defensive end position, Ryan Talbot on the Western Hotline. We're uh, we're previewing the Bills in Washington football game tomorrow, which of course you can hear right here on WGR pregame coverage starting at seven a.m. with Breakfast with the Bills Fantasy Style with Lou DiBiase and Derek Kramer, and uh, ends with me in the evening at eight p.m. Uh, with the New Wave Energy Overtime Show. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this uh, this Washington defense, Ryan. I, they've sort of been a conundrum. This was maybe one of the most talked about defenses. There was an expectation that they might be one of the best defensive lines, if not the best defensive line in football. And through through the first, first two games, Ryan, it just has not appeared that way. They have not had the dominance. Uh, Chase Young does not have a sack at this point in, uh, yet in the season. What have you seen from them? And, and obviously, one, one of the things they've tried to do to get them in more one-on-one matchups is try to simply you know blitz more and, and give them more one-on-one matchups. But that is not something I, I think they should try lightly against the Bills. As we know, Josh Allen really tends to have success, um, especially early on in games against the blitz yeah listen i think they're going to go into this game and try to win just without being pressure go to that uh, pittsburgh blueprint of hey if we don't have to bring any pressure and our guys can beat their guys it's going to bode well for our defense and listen on paper this is one of the more talented defensive lines in football you mentioned chase young deron Payne, john allen montez sweat john allen's had a really nice year so far uh, i think he's already surpassed his sack total from last year. I think I mean I think he has three through two weeks at the defensive tackle position, which is impressive. So they have a lot of names, a lot of first round talent. All of them being first round players or first round picks. But again, when we talked with Fortier, uh, he said, you know, this is this has been a unit that has disappointed through two weeks, and it's been one of Ron Rivera's biggest frustrations because last year, when the defense was playing well, it's because they were getting pressure without sending extra blitzers that defensive line was getting the job done on their own. So, you know, Buffalo's offensive line, one, yeah, they might uh, have to handle some blitzes coming their way. But first and foremost, they just have to win these one-on-one matchups that they lost so so badly in week one against Pittsburgh show that they are much improved and look more like that unit from week two. And if they can do that, I think it bodes well for Josh Allen because, you know, you mentioned this defense. It's, it's up and down. Uh, Justin Herbert threw for over 300 yards in week one. And I know, I know the Chargers won that game, 
but they ended up failing more so in the red zone than anything else. They were one for four in that matchup. Last week, you watched the Giants game, and Daniel Jones has 95 yards and a touchdown on the ground on nine carries. So I think there's opportunities for Josh Allen to run in this game. And I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to, to throw the ball around and really spread it out. So I like this matchup for Josh Allen with the caveat that this offensive line holds up against that defensive front. Last couple of things I have for you, Ryan. I'd like you to to sort of walk me through uh, your mindset about Josh Allen and, and the struggles that you know we've all sort of talked about over the last couple of days, probably at nauseum at this point, um, about Josh Allen and what is potentially the reason behind some of his. I think it's just I think saying it's a slow start's fair. Um, I'm not really willing to maybe get to a point where we're talking about um, this just isn't working or or something along those lines. You know what I mean? Like I, I guess for me, where I struggle with with Josh is this just. Uh, a lot of what we saw, what we've seen through two games this year, are a lot of the same things we saw him at struggle with at times last year, in the middle of the season, at the beginning of the season, when he's when he goes up against Kansas City and Tennessee in back to back games, and he goes up against the Jets and and and, um, and the Patriots in back to back games, and the offense scores one touchdown in two games. Uh, so this is not unlike things we've watched last year. So I'm just, I guess, I'm wondering why maybe the freakouts happening this early in the season, knowing that they were going to face two really good defenses to start the year. Well, I think that's the, the first part right there. That they're facing two of the better defenses in the NFL in back-to-back weeks. Week one, I, I just give, you know, tip the cap to Pittsburgh's defense. They said they weren't going to send heat. They were going to win up front, and they did. And, and Josh Allen was getting hit early and often. He was getting pressured. He, was getting, uh, he wasn't getting a lot of good looks. He was throwing off his back foot. He was throwing, a little, you know, not, not on the run or like scrambling like he does when he has success. I think it was more so someone's in my face and I have to get rid of this ball. So in that matchup, he just didn't have the time. I think he, he may have even had a little bit of happy feet as that game went on, rightfully so, with how much he was getting hit. Miami, you, you know, even though it sounds weird to say tip your cap to their defense because they lost 35 to nothing, uh, but in terms of their coverage in that game, they were night and day from last year in terms of how they played the Bills. And it made sense that they would make some changes in, in terms of how they covered the receivers. I thought they did a really good job bracketing Cole Beasley, bracketing Stefan Diggs. You have Gabriel Davis, who is nowhere near 100% in that game. And that kind of leaves you with, okay, well, there's Emmanuel Sanders, who did have a big uh, reception early in the game, and he had a few other catches here and there. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie and, you know, Jay Kumaro. So when, when you take away those top two guys and one of the other guys is banged up, it, it's kind of hard to uh, spread the ball around and get your, get your guys open. So I think the coverage has been good. And, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier. There's so much tape on this offense because of how many points they put up last year, how efficient they were moving the ball, that now defenses are going to sit there and say, how do we match up with them? What can we do that's advantageous for us? And, and now it's up to the Bills to kind of go in week by week and, and have a counterpunch for that. So, you know, the slow start is what it is. I, I don't think that this is the Josh Allen you're going to see all season by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I said this is going to be a, a get-right game for him, in my opinion. But I, you got to see it, though, first. So yeah. I, I'm interested to watch and see how it unfolds. I do think that Josh Allen uh, has some really positive moments tomorrow on the ground and with his arm, and this is kind of one of those, okay, this is the guy that earned that $258 million contract. 
Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. And, and last thing I want to ask you, Ryan, um, is to your prediction as to whether or not we see uh, Tredavious White essentially shadow uh, scary Terry McLaurin on the other side. I think he's turning into one of the league's best young receivers. Um, do you think they just go with a normal game plan and, 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 and keep Trey on one side of the field? Or do you believe him shadowing um, the, 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 young, uh, the young stud at wide receiver for Washington uh, makes sense for them? It makes sense for them, but I wouldn't be surprised they at least start out with their traditional defense, see how they hold up on the opposite side. Um, you know, I know Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson are both listed as questionable for this game, but they are full participants on Friday, so that kind of bodes well for them playing. I think that uh, even though Levi gave up some receptions in week one, he had that pass interference penalty called on him where he didn't turn his head around. I thought it was actually pretty good coverage, though, overall. I thought he's been pretty solid so far. I thought he was really good last week before he, he left the game with the injury. Uh, obviously had the big pass breakup where he was then called for taunting and came back and recorded an interception shortly thereafter where he peeled off his receiver because he read the quarterback's eyes. He knew where the ball was going. That's one of those things that we hadn't necessarily seen from him before, and it kind of reminded me of Trey White last year against the Chargers where he peeled off his guy to intercept Justin Herbert in the game. So that's just something that happens with time. I think they have confidence in Levi. So I think they'll start out and just, you know, whatever side Perry lines up on, they'll go with it. But if he's getting beaten early, uh, then, you know, it makes a lot of sense to have Trey White shadow him. There's other talent on that in that receiving game for Washington, but there's, there's also a big step down after McLaurin in terms of from wide receiver one to wide receiver two. All right, Ryan, appreciate you, buddy. As always, love the insight uh, and uh, looking forward to uh, to hearing your thoughts for after the game tomorrow. Thanks for joining us and uh, enjoy your weekend and, uh, and go Irish. Hey, thanks, Nate. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.